0: It's great to be here and uh um I noticed that the great part of the meeting is finished because Nigel <laughs> <laughs> uh, told us that and uh yeah just to uh, introduce myself uh, so I am part of the uh, uh team with uh, Nigel and others Tony Smith I know has been to uh, preach here Tony is the big cuddly one uh, I am not uh, <laughs> so uh but no it really is uh, great to be here um and particularly As we remember uh, today, uh, Remembrance Sunday, as we remember uh, millions of people who have died uh, around the globe uh, as a result of hostilities and, and war, I want us for the rest of this morning to change our focus to the millions of people who are still alive on this globe on which we live, but who are facing... Eternal life, eternal death, because they don't know Jesus Christ. I want us to think about, as we remember, uh, as Nigel put it, the, the end of hostilities that happened let's see what was it, 94 years ago today this morning, as we think about the end of hostilities, I want us to think about uh, those thousands of people who, millions of people, live in our nation the thousands of people who live in this town of Wrexham and the surrounding cities and towns, the thousands of students who are at this university, the hundreds of people that you know, that we know, all these people for whom they are still at hostility with God because they have not been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's where... Uh, I want to go this morning, I want to uh, stir you and encourage you about being an ambassador for Christ. And I want you to turn, if you've got your Bible with you, uh, I'm going to read some uh, verses from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 through to the beginning of uh, chapter 6. One of my favourite passages of scripture and I'll tell you why uh, in a moment when I've I've read it. So 2 Corinthians and chapter 5, I'm going to start at verse 17 where Paul uh, starts with one of his favourite words, therefore. So in other words, he's, he's coming to an end of an argument that he's been uh, building up to. If you want to read what that argument is, then you'll have to read the preceding verses and chapters. When I encourage you to do that, but I'm starting at verse 17. Therefore, I'm reading from the ESV, your translations may be slightly different. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Anybody here in Christ this morning? One or two? Okay. You are a new... I think I'll change my script. No. Uh, You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And uh, as I was saying, I love that uh, passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite uh, passages, and for many reasons, really. But one of the reasons is that it's the uh, first passage that I ever preached on. Uh, The first passage that I ever uh, spoke on as a Christian uh, to other Christians. And that happened um, just over 23 years ago, on the 29th of October, uh, 1989, uh, in a, uh, an Anglican church called uh, Holy Trinity, Attleborough, in the Midlands, in between uh, Leicester and Coventry. It was the first time uh, I was given the privilege of speaking uh, in a church, um, and I remember that date, the 29th of October, because it was just nine days after... To quote what we were singing earlier, my chains fell off and my heart was free. Nine days earlier, on the 20th of October 1989, at 10 minutes to 10, (laughs) I became a Christian in the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham at a Graham Kendrick concert. Anybody remember Graham Kendrick? I've never met anybody else who ever became a Christian and got saved at the Graham Kendrick (laughs) concert. Uh, It wasn't particularly an evangelistic event. There was no gospel preached or or whatever. All I know is I was sat at the back uh, with 11,999. It was a sellout. Uh, Other people and everybody else in that room, as far as I was concerned, seemed to know Christ and be a Christian. I didn't. But at 10 minutes to 10, I got down on my knees and I said, sorry to God for my sins, and I believed in Jesus Christ. At 11 minutes to 10, I was not a Christian. The Bible says I was still dead in my transgressions and sins. The Bible says I was still separated from my God. I was still in hostility uh, with my God. At 9 minutes to 10, the Bible says that that had changed, that I was now not only part of God's family, a child of God, but I was actually reconciled to God, seated with God in heavenly places. What had happened in that preceding minute? 11 minutes to 10, I was uh, in hostility with God. 9 minutes to 10, I was reconciled to God. At 10 minutes to 10, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for my forgiveness, for forgiveness of sins. And all I know is, is that When I sing that song, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I know that that's when it happened for me. And I know that that was the moment when I was reconciled to God. Hostility between me and God came to an end. And my sins were forgiven. My my heart was set free. And I became a child of God. And if you've never known that experience, if you've never had that experience, now I know for some people salvation is a process over a period of time indeed it was for me there was lots of important things leading up to that day and that evening and that moment and there's been lots of stuff i've had to learn and build upon since then but i do know that that was the time for others it's not a particular time you can't remember a particular moment a particular day or whatever but you know the important thing is not you know when you became a christian but that you know that you are a christian the important thing is not that you know when hostility ended. We know when the First World War ended, the 11th hour, the 11th day, the 11th month. Yeah, but it, it, it's not like that. It's not as important as that when it comes to Christianity. It's not that we know the moment. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you know right now that hostility has ended. That you know right now you are a child of God. I'm not supposed to be preaching about this this morning, but I just feel, you know, and, and that's the important thing. If you, know, if, you, if you don't know that you're reconciled to God, if you don't know, if you're not sure that hostility between you and God is at an end forever on this day when we remember the end of, of, of hostilities, then make this a day when you know you're no longer at war with God. Make this the day when you know the enmity between you and God, that the... The stuff in your life that separates you from God does not separate you any longer. And you can have that assurance this morning. 20th of October, 1989 at 10 minutes to 10. That was the moment I became a Christian. And um, it was an amazing transformation really because the... First 34 years of my life, I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't born into a Christian family, I didn't go to church when I was a kid, uh, I didn't go to church when I was at university. Uh, when Ruth and I got, uh, got married, um, neither of us were Christians, she came home from church one day, she was a little bit more of a church background than me, she started going to church again four years after we'd been married, she came home from church one day and said, I've become a Christian. And I thought the Moonies had got her or some strange cult or something like that. And then I quickly reconciled it to thinking, oh, it's all right. Don't worry, it'll give us something to do. You know, I, not only was I proud and, and an arrogant atheist, I was very sexist as well. And I thought, you know, Christianity it's OK for those people who need something like that in their lives. People who just need something else. People who perhaps can't cope with life. And I knew because of my previous visits to churches, that they were largely, or certainly the churches I went to, largely populated by the female female of our society. And if you were a man and you were a Christian, what a wimp! And you probably played a guitar with uh, a multicolored strap. No, he hasn't got one of those. With a, G, with a Jesus Love You sticker on it. Do you remember those? And you wore brown open-sewed sandals with socks. You know, that was my stereotypical image of a Christian man. A wimp, if you like. And uh, that's where I was at for most of my life. And then I started to meet men who I couldn't pin that label on. I started to meet men who couldn't answer all my uh, arrogant uh, bombarding of questions. They couldn't answer all my questions, but they believed that the Word of God was true. You see, I knew the Word of God. I knew what it said. didn't believe it was the Word of God, but I knew that Christians were supposed to believe it was the Word of God. And the thing that I couldn't understand is why Christians didn't live this out. Because <laughs> I'd read this and I thought, I looked at the church and I thought, well, they don't believe this. If they don't believe it, why shouldn't I believe it? Mm. Until I started to find and speak to men who did believe it. And they didn't have all the answers, but they did believe it. And uh, for me, it, it started to change when someone said to me, Steve, call yourself a Christian. Uh, sorry, call yourself a historian. I was a. Uh, did history at university, loved history, still do. They said, call yourself, you say you're a historian, how come then you've never checked out the facts about Christianity? How come you've never looked at the evidence for the Christian faith? And that really made me cross. (laughs) Because I prided myself on evidence and facts. And I'm a Yorkshireman, you know, so if I could feel it and see it and touch it, I I believed it, none of this airy-fairy spiritual nonsense. But this guy said to me... This guy said to me, look at the evidence, look at the facts. So I started to look at it to disprove it. And along with many others who started to do that, once you, once you really start to investigate, you realize that Christianity is true. That there is evidence, there are facts, it's a historical faith. It's based on real events with real people that happened in real time. And the documentation that we've got about that is, is, is reliable. More reliable than any other ancient documents that any of us could ever read by a million miles we know that it's reliable. And that's, I started at that point on a journey which culminated in, on the 20th of October 1989. And two days later, um, I went to church with my wife, Ruth. Now, I'd started going a bit more regularly, uh, sitting on the back row, scowling at anybody who came anywhere near me. You know, so don't you Christians come and speak to me or I'll give you a broadside. But on that Sunday morning, I was totally changed. I didn't sit on the back. I wanted to be near the front. I wanted to be down there where the action was. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I could see the words and sing the songs that we were, we were singing. And um, for the first time, two days later, that was the 22nd of October, I was with God's people um, as a Christian. And at the end of that uh, Sunday meeting, as people were, were milling around, having a drink, whatever, uh, unbeknown to me, a conversation was going on between the vicar of that church and one of the, I think it was called a lay reader, who was preaching the following Sunday, 29th of October. And he said, this guy said, I'm really struggling next week, vicar, or the conversation went something like this, because I'm preaching on this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And at the, in my plan, he was following some sort of plan which told you how to preach and what to say and what to do when and whatever. That in the plan, it says at this point in your sermon, ask a new Christian to come and share about their faith. And he said, that's my problem because we haven't got any new Christians in this church. New Christians weren't very common in this particular church. And the vicar apparently said to this guy, he said, why don't you have a word with Steve? He's behaving rather strangely this morning. So that was, that was the, bless him, the vicar's sort of summary of, of, of the behavior of a new Christian in his flock that morning. He's behaving rather strangely. Anyway, this guy came up to me and said, look, I'm uh, speaking next Sunday and I'd like you to come and give your testimony. I said, what's the testimony? <laughs> you know, I'd never come across the phrase really. And uh, he said, well, just, just tell us what God's doing in your life. So I said, yeah, okay then, that's fine. I thought that's what happened. You become a Christian on Friday and then the following Sunday, you tell everybody about what God's doing in your life. So the following Sunday on the 29th, this guy was speaking and preaching from this passage two Corinthians chapter five. And then at the end, he asked me to come up And uh, to speak and I did, I I can't remember too much about what I was saying, but according to Ruth, she remembers that I not only said what had happened to me about becoming a Christian uh, nine days before, but I went on to preach. Uh, a, a simple gospel message because I read the passage you see that we were supposed to be speaking about and it said there about being reconciling to God so that's what I spoke about and I also read in there about where Paul I'd read, Paul said then we appeal to you to get right with God to be reconciled with God so I finished the, my, my preach with this sort of rudimentary appeal Look, if you're not right with God, then come down here and we'll get you right with God. And God will get you right with him. Now, my appeals have become a little bit more sophisticated <laughs> since then, sadly. Um, and much to my amazement, a guy who I got to know and who again was uh, the husband of a, of a lady in the church who we'd been getting together and uh, uh, sort of annoying the, the, the vicar in this place together uh, with our questions. He came forward and said, Steve, I don't know what's happened to you but whatever's happened to you, I want it. At that point, I was struggling. So I called over another guy who I knew was a Christian who I thought knew, would know what we ought to do. And together we prayed with this guy and he became a Christian that Sunday morning. Now that was my, if you like, entry into the Christian life. Um, And I, I just thought that that was normal. You become a Christian, you stand up and tell people all about it and other people come forward and they become Christians as well. And do you know what? For the last 23 years, I've tried desperately to hold on to that. <laughs> that that should be what Christianity is all about. Mm. In my own sort of limited way, as a baby Christian, that, that morning, just nine days old, I implored people to be reconciled to God. As, as I read in the scripture, the scripture says we should implore people to be reconciled to God. So not knowing that the, that's what the majority of Christians don't do, not knowing that maybe that doesn't happen very much in church or never happened at all in this church. I just stood there and did what the Bible told me to do, to implore people to be reconciled to God. And I think even though it was a rough and ready preach and the, and the, response, the appeal was, was a bit rudimentary, God honoured that. And actually, I actually found it, normal. I thought that was normal. I thought that's what happened. If you like, I I think I found it instinctive really to act, as Paul says here, as an ambassador for Christ. And I believe that actually it should be and is instinctive to all of us to be like that, to be ambassadors for Christ. I believe that we all want to be good ambassadors for Christ. And I'd still believe that despite the indifference of the society that we live in or even the hostility that we can face as Christians, especially if we raise our head above the parapet. I still believe that despite every single one of us here, will have, including me, will have our own list of evangelistic horror stories and failures yeah? where you've tried to be a witness, where you've tried to be a good ambassador for Christ. Because, why do I believe that? Because of what it says in our our passage here, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, then Christ is in you. Christ is in you. If you're a Christian, Christ is is in you and Christ just wants you to allow him to shine out of you and that's why it's instinctive instinctive should be natural because it comes from within us to implore people because that's what Christ came to do Jesus Christ when he walked this earth he implored people to get right with father God and because Christ is in us it should be instinctive for us to be like that being a good ambassador for Christ starts with recognizing that we 're in christ, and you know being an ambassador for christ is not it 's not a, a job that we apply for it 's not a position to that we arise to you know we we start off as a, putting the chairs out or making the tea and then we you know, maybe get to be on the welcome or even producing the notices. And maybe one day we might get to the exalted status of being in the worship band. And then eventually we become an ambassador for Christ. No! <laughs> it's not something that we, you know, we, we rise to. It's not something that we get trained to do. It's not something that we, when we get to the top of the greasy tree, oh, we become one of those apostle like persons, you know, an ambassador for Christ. Paul tells us, what does he tell us in verse 20? We are ambassadors for Christ. And the whole sense of this passage is we there. He's not just the apostolic team. Okay, so it's not just me and Nigel who are ambassadors for Christ. He's saying we, all of us, every single one of us, we are ambassadors for Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, You are an ambassador for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. We can't get any higher than that. Now, what's an ambassador? That's a question. Who wants to give me an answer? What's an ambassador? A representative. A representative. Very good. Very good. A royal representative. A royal representative. Even better. So? Yeah, very good. Anybody else? The Collins English Dictionary says this. A rep- an ambassador is a diplomat of the highest rank. Accredited as permanent representative to another country. Okay, that's what an ambassador is. Firstly, a diplomat of the highest rank, accredited. So every single one of us here this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, Christian, you are a diplomat of the highest rank. You cannot have a higher rank. You already have the highest rank. Okay, you, you, you know, you can't get any higher than that. It's got nothing to do with the position you have in the church or whether you are on the, on the leadership team or the eldership or what. It's got nothing to do with that. Paul says, the scripture says, you are a diplomat of the highest rank already. I became a diplomat of the highest rank on the 20th of October 1989 at 10 minutes to 10 by nature of the fact that Christ came to live in me. Yeah, you cannot get any higher. And people discount themselves. I'm sure many of you have discounted yourselves from mission and evangelism because you feel you're not good enough. You don't know enough. You're not gifted enough. Listen, you are an ambassador for Christ. How many people here have got the gift of evangelism or something of the gift of evangelism? Come on, be brave if you want to give me a lift. Mr. Harmon, would you like to just tell us where we can read about that gift of evangelism in the scriptures? <laughs> we all have it, mate. <laughs> where, where do we read about it in the scriptures? Well, we're all ambassadors. So. Yeah, where do we read about this gift of evangelism that you say you've got? There isn't a specific. Correct. <laughs> there is no such thing as the gift of evangelism, there isn't a gift. Being involved in mission and evangelism is not a case of waiting for the gift to come from on high. Yeah, let's explain it. You explain it. Would you like to read it to me? What does Ephesians 4, chapter, verse, chapter 4, verse 11 say? It, it, it says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So what does he give? The evangelist. So the gift is the evangelist, the person, the man or the woman. So if I am an evangelist, and some people sometimes say I, I, I am, then I am a gift to you this morning. Okay? Uh, but what is my job? I'll speak to you later. What is my job? <laughs> He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, chapter 4 in Ephesians, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's what I'm here to do. That's what the evangelist does, to build us up, so that we all do the work of evangelism. Evangelism is something that we do as ambassadors for Christ, not something that one or two people do because they've got a gift, because there is no such thing as the gift of evangelism. It's what we all do. Because we are ambassadors. You can't get any higher than that. And you've been accredited. So God has looked at you. Or more correctly. He looks at Christ in you. And says. You're accredited. You are my ambassador for Christ. You are my diplomat of the highest rank. And you cannot possibly get any Higher than that and then the other thing about an ambassador is that an ambassador is accredited as a representative to another country now on the 20th of October 1989 10 minutes to 10 I became a citizen of another country I said much better than another country I became a citizen of heaven what the Bible tells us is that when we become Christians we become citizens of heaven and in that same letter we just looked at in Ephesians Paul says that I am now seated in heaven alongside Jesus Christ, alongside the Father. That is where I belong. We are already seated with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's where we now belong. And we get a sense of that. When we're gathered together, when we worship particularly, like this morning, there was, there was a sense of, wow, God is here amongst us. Wow, I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Wow, this is, this is like being in heaven almost you know oh we almost got there and that's where we want to get to in our worship and that's and that's what happens we're caught up in that we're citizens of heaven but as citizens of heaven we're accredited as representative to another country and this is the other country (laughs) this is the other country that we're sent to we don't belong here anymore i don't belong here i'm seated in the heavenly realms that's where i belong that's where you belong if you're a Christian here this morning. But God, because he knows best, sends you as an ambassador, as a representative. So it's, it's quite interesting because we think, you know, we have this thing that, you know, we're born as babies. You know, we live our lives. Uh, we become a Christian. Uh, we live the rest of our lives. We die and we go to heaven to be with God. That's not what Scripture teaches. What Scripture really tells us is we're born... We live our lives, we become Christians and we immediately are seated with him in heavenly realms. And then God sends us back here to be his representatives. Now this is a spiritual thing, but that's what scripture tells us to believe. We're seated with him in heavenly realms, but he sends us back here as a representative. Praise God, we differ from uh, many ambassadors, it's not permanent. (laughs) Praise God, I'm not going to be stuck here forever. As an ambassador, praise God! One day He's going to call me home, hallelujah, and I'll be seated with Him in heavenly realms forever. But for now, but for now, even though (laughs) I'd rather be there, thought Paul, you know, I'd I'd rather be there. But no, for now, He sent me here. And what has He sent me here for? To be a representative, to be an ambassador for him. And notice this from those verses in 2 Corinthians 5. As these ambassadors, as these diplomats of the highest rank, Jesus Christ, the king, he sends us into this world as his representative and he sends us with a message. Ambassadors go with a message. They represent the king and they take the message of the king. King Jesus sends us out into his world with a message, and it's a message of reconciliation. Verse 18: All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We've got a message. We've got a wonderful message to give people as ambassadors, as representatives of the king. And we must be careful to get the message right. We must be careful to deliver the king's message, his message. Not our interpretation of the message, not what we think people want to hear, but the message that the king gives us as ambassadors to deliver to people. We've got to get it right. We must get it right it 's important to get it right, and because we know it 's important to get it right that 's where things tend to go a little bit wrong because some Christians then shy away from telling people the message because they 're not confident that they can get the message right they 're not confident that they, they, they know all the bits of the message you know I've, oh yeah've got i 've got to i 've got to uh, witness to people i 've got to share the gospel with people so i 've got to tell them about about Jesus, uh, how he came to earth how you know that Jesus means the Lord saves and we're coming up to Christmas so Jesus is God uh, amongst us and Jesus came to show us how to live our lives uh, like God and Jesus came to die on a cross so that we can be forgiven for our sins because my sin separates me from God because God is holy and therefore if I'm full of sin I can't have anything to do with God so therefore Jesus had to die on a cross for my sin uh, so that there's no sin in me so therefore there's nothing to stop me being reconciled to God so I can get over to God oh and I mustn't forget that Jesus didn't just die, but he rose from the dead. Oh, and of course, Jesus promised that he wouldn't leave us on his own. He would send the Holy Spirit as well. And of course, um, because we've got the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., etc. And we think, huh. <laughs> how, do I, how, do I, how do I deliver all that? How do I get that in the right order? How, do I, how am I able to communicate that? Do you know what? Maybe I haven't got the ability to do this. Maybe there is a gift of evangelism after all, and I haven't got it. Maybe I should leave it to the Nigels and the Steves and whatever. Maybe I should leave it. Maybe I'm not really cut out for this evangelistic larky. Well, if you're a bit like that, I've got good news for you this morning. Because the message that God gives us is very, very simple. And it's very, very short. It's very, very easy For us to understand and for us to deliver. Because according to the scripture, it's only got four words in it. And most of us here can remember four words. Verse 20. Here's the message. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Here's the message. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. I'll make it simpler. The message is get sorted with God. That's God's message that he gives us to give to people. That's the message that we need to deliver. Be reconciled to God. Get your life sorted out with God. Now, in verse 21, he gives us a slightly longer version in case some of us are sort of going to um, you know, rise to even higher ranks of being able to communicate the message. Verse 21. Um, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I haven't got time to unpack all of that, but I'm sure you've probably got that from what I've already said. But for those of us who are going to struggle with all those words, remember the four-word version, okay? Be reconciled to God. That's the message that we give to people. Get right with God. That's the good news of the gospel, that because of Jesus, people can be reconciled to God. And if you're here this morning, and you would not call yourself a Christian. And in a, in a group this size, that's always going to be the case. And if it's not the case, then it should be the case. Because church is a place where people come to get reconciled with God. Okay, Not just for those who are already reconciled with God. If you're here this morning and you would not call yourself a Christian, then my message to you this morning is this. Get right with God. Be reconciled to God. That's the message Get right with God. You need to get your life sorted out with God. And for those of us who are Christians, notice this from the rest of this text. This simple message of being reconciled to God, that God gives us to give to people, getting sorted out with God. That message should be delivered by those of us who call ourselves Christians with a certain amount of conviction and urgency. Yes? Yes? A certain amount of conviction and urgency. Paul says this, verse 20. We implore you. (laughs) We implore you to be reconciled with God. Chapter 6, verse 1. We appeal to you. Some of the translations have got, we beg you. We urge you. We appeal to you. We implore you. These are words of conviction and urgency. The king's message, the king makes us ambassadors and he gives us a message. And it's a message of urgency. It's a message of conviction that we need to give to people. Now, I know we live in the 20th century. No, we don't, do we? We live in the 21st century. (laughs) I know we've got to be sensitive to where people are at. I know we have to work out where people are on the Engel scale. You know that one, you know, are they close to God or are they near to God? And we we adjust our message and we build friendship with them first. Yes, we do. We have to recognize that this is the 21st century and most people would not call themselves religious. We have to be careful to address people's objections to the Christian faith. I love doing that. I love doing the Alpha courses. We've got on a, on a guy on our Alpha course at the moment. He's possibly even more arrogant and offensive than I was before I became a Christian. And that's saying something. I love addressing people's objections. We have to build up a friendship with people. We have to build a bridge of friendship that will take the weight of the gospel. We have to be careful that we don't ram the gospel down people's throats, don't we? So we don't turn them off when we meet people for the first time or the... 101st time. Oh, I'm still being careful. I'm still, I've got to build up that bridge of friendship. But here's a question to you. How much of all that is the world's way of thinking and not a biblical way of thinking? How much of all that is the language and the attitude of political and religious correctness that has crept into the people of God? How much of all that is evidence that the prince of this world has not just blinded the eyes of unbelievers, but has also dulled the ears and dimmed the eyes of the king's ambassadors. How much have we bought into this lie? (laughs) That we've got to be careful, that we've got to build up bridges for 10 years before we can speak to people about Jesus. There's an urgency, there's a conviction Let me put it another way. ask you another question. In the light and the spirit of these verses, when was the last time that you, or I for that matter, implored someone to be reconciled to God? Rather than just encourage someone to think about God. When was the last time you begged someone to get right with God? When was the last time you urge someone, as Paul says here, not to receive God's grace in vain rather than just recommending they read Terry Virgo's book about grace. When was the last time you appealed to someone, urged someone to be saved from the wrath of God rather than being acutely embarrassed if that person that you're speaking to asks you about hell or wrath When was the last time you urged someone? You appealed to someone? You begged someone to get right with God? I don't know when you read your Bibles. I hope you do. I read mine early in the morning. Uh, Sadly, well, it's sadly because we're out of kilter. My wife Ruth reads hers late at night. um, As we're both in bed and I'm falling asleep, she's reading the Bible. And invariably, every other night at least, as I'm just sort of drifting off, they'll be, oh, thank you, God, or... Steve, Steve, what does this mean? or oh, whatever. And I'm trying to drift off to sleep. Last night, she's reading. I'm drifting off to sleep. Um, and she's reading from Luke chapter 3. And I hear this exclamation. Why don't we preach like that anymore? I said, what are you on about? She said, John the Baptist. He started to preach. And this is what he said. You brood of vipers. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance why don't we preach like that anymore? Why is it all soft and syrupy and whatever? And I'm going, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> but I was disturbed because I thought, Do you know what? Apart from being annoying, this was midnight or something. Um, she's right. Why don't we ever preach like that anymore? Now, maybe using the word brood of vipers may not be the most friendly way to introduce a preach on a Sunday morning, but I think there's a point there. When Paul's writing to the church in, in Rome, In Romans 1 verse 14 and and 15. So this is when he's looking forward to visiting the church uh, in Rome. And he's writing to them to set out his, uh, his credentials and his gospel. He says this, Romans 1 verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's eager to preach the gospel. And when he says there, um, I am under obligation, if, uh, if you look at that in other translations, you'll get different words for that uh, word obligation. I think in the NIV, it translates it, I am bound. And probably the best translation is in the authorized version, the old AV, um, which says, I am a debtor. I am a debtor. And the word that everybody's trying to translate is the Greek word, ophilo which means to be in debt, to be in debt. Paul says, I'm in debt. I'm a debtor to the gospel. What does he mean by that? How can Paul be in debt? Why does he see preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, the king's message, as paying off or discharging a debt? Well, if you think about it, there are two ways of being in debt. The first way is to, if you use the example of money, is to borrow money from someone you could say you're in debt to them. The second way is to be given money for someone else. So let's imagine, for instance, that I'm aware that Mr. Harmon here has fallen on hard times, and he's really in a bad way, and uh, money is hard to come by. And I'm going to give him—I want to give him ten pounds just to help him out. Um, I was going to make it twenty pounds, but then I thought I was going to give it to Phil, and I wasn't sure I would get it back, so I made it a ten. But anyway, <laughs> that's very kind. There you are. That's for Phil. That's for you. Now, in that example, by the way, I've got the serial number written down here, so don't worry about it. I want that back in a minute. We could say, we could say that Phil is now in my debt, okay? Because I've, I've, I've given him something. Can I have that back? Let's suppose that Phil wasn't here this morning and someone else had led us wonderfully in worship as Phil did. Let's suppose he wasn't here, but let's suppose I still knew that he was in debt, and I wanted this £10 get to him. What I might do is to give it to Nigel and say, now Nigel, this is for Phil. He's in desperate need of it. He, he needs this. I urge you to get this to Phil as, mu- as easily and as quickly as you can because he's in desperate need of it. Now in that case, right? <laughs> he's done it. Give it him back. You're spoiling my picture. <laughs> In that case, what we could say is that now Nigel is in debt to Phil. Because he's got something from him, for him, that he's hanging on to. He's got something. I've given him something that is not for him. It's for him. And until such time as he gives it to him, he's in debt. He's a debtor. And the longer he sits on to that £10 note, knowing that it's not for him, that it's needed over there, the more he's going to feel bad about it. The more he's going to feel an obligation to pass it on. The more he's going to feel this duty that he's got to discharge to pass it on. You can pass it on if you feel him. He's put it away, look. Now that's the sense... uh, I'll have that back, thank you very much. That's the sense in which Paul says... I'm a debtor to the gospel. God has given Paul something for the church in Rome, for the Christians in Rome, for unbelievers in Rome. God has given him it. And Paul is saying, until such time as I get to preach the gospel to you, I feel this weight, I feel this obligation, I feel this debt, this duty to discharge. And that's the sense in which Paul is talking about being in debt to the gospel. It's not that he's borrowed anything from the Romans. Uh, Or the Greeks are the barbarians, if you read the passage, that he must repray. But Jesus Christ has given him the gospel. God has given him the gospel for them. And Paul saw the gospel as like that. It's something that God had uniquely entrusted to him. Put in trust with the gospel. When he's writing to the church in Galatia, he said this. He said, they, that's the apostles, saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. When he's speaking to the church in Thessalonica, he says this, we speak as men approved by God. There's that word again, approved by God, representatives of God. Approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. When he speaks to Timothy, he talks about the glorious gospel of the blessed God entrusted to me. And he speaks to Titus about the preaching entrusted to me. For the command of God, our Savior. God had entrusted Paul to preach the gospel. And do you know what? He's entrusted us to give this message to the people in our world. Whether you live in Huddersfield, where I do, or Wrexham. Let me read you a sort of, uh, a little story, um, which actually was, uh, appeared in the news a year ago today. Uh, It's quite funny in a way, but also quite sad. A postman has been found guilty and sentenced to 280 hours of unpaid work after 30,000 undelivered letters and parcels were found at his home. 30,000. Paul Willicott from Painted in Devon claimed that he couldn't deliver all his mail in his four-hour shift and began stashing the stuff at his home and in his car. He confessed to two charges under the Postal Services Act of delaying a postal packet or mailbag. Without, uh, sorry, Willicott will also pay £1,700 pound costs. Sixty seven bags of posts were found unopened at his home, and astonishingly, he had hid the bags from his wife and family. <laughs> One third of the undelivered material was junk mail, but the rest consisted of letters and parcels meant for local people on his round. Willicott, 44, told Torbay magistrates that he intended to deliver all the mail when his workload was lighter but he was unable to do it. Magistrate David Thompson said this was, quote, an extremely serious matter. He added, people have a right to expect their mail to appear at the appointed time. This was a large amount of mail. It was obviously taken over a large period of time. It constitutes a significant breach of trust. A significant breach of trust. Paul says, I'm under obligation. I'm in debt. Because God had entrusted him with the gospel. This this judge says to this guy who's delivered all these unopened, he hasn't delivered all these messages, it constitute a significant abuse of trust. A significant misuse of trust. I'm getting very heavy this morning, but I want to make the point. Because... Sometimes I see so many Christians who are over here with the spectrum of Oh evangelism's not for me. That's that's not for me. I just do this. I just put the chairs out. I make the tea. I couldn't possibly do that. I haven't got any friends. Uh, I'm not a very good speaker. I haven't got the gift. I, I this that and the other. Now maybe I'm painting a picture at the at the other end of the spectrum. But we need to get more down this end. We are ambassadors for Christ we've been given a message. Not only that, God sends us the Holy Spirit in order to empower us to deliver the message. The message is pretty straightforward and simple. Get right with God. Be reconciled with God. And the question we have to ask ourselves is how many undelivered messages and packages have we got stashed away? Not physical messages and passages and uh, packages and letters stashed away in letter, letters and, and, and garages and all over our homes. But messages that we've got in our hearts that we haven't yet delivered to people. People that we live with. People who we love. People who we work with. People who we study with. People we just bump into. Undelivered messages. Now listen. The theme of our mer- worship this morning was great grace God is a God of grace I've not delivered many messages gospel messages but I believe in a God of grace who picks me up and says Steve you missed that one (laughs) that guy I sent to you he he was just waiting to hear it but don't worry someone else has done it (laughs) but hey come on Steve I'll give you some more oh you missed that one as well That neighbor that you've been living next door to for two years who I think he's just about found out you go to church, hasn't he, Steve? You mm, think so? Maybe. Not sure. Yeah, well, come on. God of grace. He picks us up. He gives us other chances. We've got messages to deliver. A message from the king. And I want to ask you, Gateway Church Wrexham. You are ambassadors for Christ to this town. Can I ask you, in all seriousness, will you cry out like the Apostle Paul, as he did to the church in Corinth, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me, Paul cried out. He felt the urgency, the seriousness, the heaviness of this task he'd been given, this message he'd been given of being an ambassador for Christ. Will you allow God... Gateway Church, Wrexham, to give you that burden, to, give, to pick up again those messages, even if you've blown it many times in the past. If Paul felt like that for the people of Rome, the people of Corinth, Galatian, and everywhere else, then surely we should feel the same for the people of Wrexham, Huddersfield, or wherever we live, wherever we come from, and wherever we go. It doesn't matter that we're not apostles. It doesn't matter that we might not be great preachers. It doesn't matter that we're not evangelists. evangelists. It doesn't matter that we haven't got the gift because there isn't one. It's not about the gift. Let's consider our understanding of and relationship to the gospel. Let's think about being ambassadors for Christ with a message to deliver to people. And if you think about those 30,000 letters... Think what may have been in them. Think what people missed by not receiving a cheque, <laughs> a birthday card, a job offer, a love letter. Think what those people who should have had those messages, what they missed out on. And the judge recognised the import- importance. He sent the postman to jail. <laughs> Because actually, a price had been paid by the sender to deliver those letters. Someone had stuck a stamp or franked a letter and paid for that letter to be delivered. And the postman didn't deliver it. And do you know what? God has paid for the messages that we have to be delivered. He hasn't paid by sticking a stamp on a letter, He's paid by dying on a cross. He's paid, He's paid the price. He's paid the price. And he's just asking us to sign up to be postmen for him. To deliver in the letters. They're not our letters. They're his letters. They're his messages of God's love. They're his messages of reconciliation. They're his messages of getting right with him, being reconciled to God. People have a right to expect their mail to appear at the appointed time, the judge said. The appointed time do you know what every single one of us and every single person who lives in this town will have their appointed time <laughs> and god's given us some messages to deliver to people before their appointed time now they'll get the messages but he wants us to be engaged in the thrill of being the postman <laughs> of being the one to deliver them and not leave it to everybody else I want you to feel the obligation of sharing the good news with people in our communities. I'm going to finish. Um, this is a quote from uh, a guy called Mark, Mark Dever. He says this, we do not fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not converted. We fail <coughs> only if we don't faithfully tell the gospel at all. Evangelism itself is not converting people. It's telling them that they need to be converted and telling them how they can be. Yeah, It's telling them that they need to be converted. They need to get right with God. They need to be reconciled with God. Sometimes we don't even have to to tell them how to be. We can invite them to come here or come to Alpha where someone else can tell them. (laughs) But evangelism fails when we don't even bother to tell people. Can we stand? Um, Be good, maybe if the band come up. Have we got time to finish with a song? Is that right, Nigel? Can I just pray for us just before we sing? There are two real points of application uh, this morning. The first one is this. If you know that you're not right with God, (laughs) if you know you're not reconciled to God, whether you've never ever been reconciled to God and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or whether you would call yourself a Christian but you know you're not really right with God, then the first point of application for you this morning is this. Get right with God. (laughs) Put yourself right with God by receiving... The grace and mercy available to you this morning. And the second point of application is this if you are right with God, if you have been reconciled with God, whether that's been the case before you came here this morning, or even as you get right with God right now, then become a messenger for Jesus to tell other people to get right with God. Application number one get right with God. Application number two, tell others to get right with God. Let's just pray. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you so loved the world, that you so loved every single one of us, that you sent your only son to die on a cross, yes. to pay the price for our sins, that every single person here this morning can be right with you and be reconciled to you. And I pray for anyone here this morning who needs to get right with you. Father, you would put that urgency in their hearts right now. And they would repent of sin right now and come to you. And Father, I pray for us all. Father, we would pick up this... Uh, this sack full of messages, of letters that you have sent to people in this town and the towns and cities we come from, messages uh, that need to be delivered, messages of your love, of your mercy, of your grace, that you have given to us and trusted to us to deliver to those people who are lost, who are hurting. God, would you help us to be faithful ambassadors for Christ, to be those who deliver the messages that you have given us. Lord, I pray for this church, for Gateway Church, Wrexham. Lord, put an urgency into the heart of this church, into the lives of people here, to be faithful ambassadors for Christ, to be those from whom you you shine out of them, Lord, that people would actually come to them, almost asking for the message that you have given them. (laughs) Holy Spirit, would you do this? Put an urgency in our hearts, that many would come into this church, into your people here, and to be saved and added. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.